Uh, we're in a series right now called Internal Enemies, and it's not intuitive to think about enemies on the inside. You Normally when we hear that word enemies, we think about people or things on the outside. But what we've been talking about in this series and the big idea that Pastor Cody started us with two weeks ago was this, that there are things inside of us that can do far more damage than anything outside of us. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. And if we don't get a grip or a handle on these internal enemies, Pastor Cody talked about envy and jealousy. Last week we talked about anger. If we don't get a grip on these things, they really can end up destroying our lives. So today I want to just kind of talk about this third issue, this third internal enemy that many, many people struggle with. In fact, one out of every 13 Americans struggles with this issue in an intense way. That's 40 million people. Not sure what's going on in different countries. I know we have some folks watching from different countries today, uh, but that's what's going on here in the United States. It is the issue of anxiety. Anxiety. Now, I've always thought that anxiety is kind of difficult to understand or at least define. So I wanted to kind of put a target on the wall and, and say, okay, here's what we're actually talking about when we say anxiety. I went to Webster's Dictionary. That's always a good place to go to for a definition. Here's what anxiety is according to Webster. It's extreme uneasiness of mind or brooding fear about something that may or may not happen. Uneasiness of mind, trouble in our thoughts, overwhelming or brooding fear or worry about something that may or may not happen. And some of you may be thinking, and I know I definitely thought this, like, well, what's the difference between anxiety and concern? Like, isn't it okay to be concerned about? Like, shouldn't we be concerned about things? Isn't that, isn't that healthy? I mean, we had a, our, our oldest just get his driver's license. We were concerned. Because the first time he got behind the wheel, it was a go-kart, and he crashed it. And I'm praying, Jesus, help this boy understand gas versus brake. And, you know. and so isn't it okay for Jackie and I to have healthy concern now that our 17-year-old son is driving a car and our other kids are in there from time to time? Yes, it is okay. There is a major difference between healthy concern and anxiety. Well, how do you know you've switched over from healthy concern about something into the area of uneasiness of mind or brooding fear? Here's how you know. That the concern, I call anxiety, by the way, concern on steroids, okay? That's what I call it. Here's how you know that the concern is now taking over your life. And it is now causing the quality of your life to plummet. You can no longer be as productive as you once were. You're no longer as kind as you once were, okay? You're no, you, you have less joy in your life than you did a year ago. In other words, the, the, the anxiety is taking the quality of your life down. That's how you know you've moved from concern to anxiety. Anxiety is on the rise today. Recently, I read a book called Finding Quiet. It's written by a professor of theology at Talbert University, J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland is uh, one of the most influential, one of the top 50 most influential philosophers that are alive today. He has written prolifically about apologetics, and he actually studied underneath my favorite author, Dallas Willard, uh, who's no longer with us. Uh, but J.P. Moreland is just an extremely intelligent person, defender of the faith, and I didn't know this, but he had anxiety. 
And he wrote a book about it called Finding Quiet. The subtitle says, My Story of Overcoming Anxiety and the Practices that Brought Peace. It's like, wow. If anybody's going to have an intelligent perspective on how to deal with this issue of anxiety, it's going to be J.P. Moreland. He cites one, a doctor called Joseph Mercola in the first couple of chapters. He says anxiety, this doctor says anxiety is the new depression. With more than half of all American college students reporting anxiety. Our younger people are plagued by this. Recent research shows, anxiety, shows that anxiety characterized by constant fear and worry is now 800% more prevalent than all forms of cancer. That's incredible. It's like soaring. Why is it soaring? Well, more than ever, people are stressed out. You know, stress is one of the number one causes of anxiety. This, we're doing this and we're doing that. We're trying to accomplish this and we're, trying, and we're multitasking and we're go, go. We're always on the go. And it produces stress in our life. It's also produced by an overwhelming amount of information more than ever in the history of the human race. We have information right in front of our eyeballs as soon as something happens. And I'm talking about negative things. The news loves to pour out the negative things. Something happens across the other, on the other side of the globe and within seconds you hear about it on your Twitter account. We were not designed to handle that much bad information. Do you agree with this? Like years and years and years ago, people only heard about the bad stuff that was going on in their neck of the woods, in their neighborhood. Now the whole world is our neighborhood. And we hear it the moment that it happens, a new terrorism attack, a new school shooting, a new this. It's overwhelming to us. And we have to deal with all this negative information constantly. And more than ever, we're now living isolated lives, even though we're connected on Facebook and Twitter and all these different, Insta all these different social media, we're living more and more by ourselves, less and less in community. And anxiety is soaring in our lives. People have anxiety about small things. They have small, anxiety about medium-sized things and little and, and big things. I mean, I know people that are so anxious that they cannot use a public restroom. And I feel bad for them. It kind of tickles me. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, tickle me but it does because I'm thinking about all the times that I go to the airport and I, you know and I see and you got to go and I'm like I go like two or three times I, I go on the plane I go before I get on the plane I go after I get on the plane and I'm thinking of my friends that can't use the public restroom and I'm thinking gosh that must be tough to just hold it and hold it and it makes me think that they're going to get a bladder infection it's just I don't, shouldn't think that way <laughs> anxiety takes the quality of your life right down <laughs> But people have anxiety about the smallest things. Some people can't get on airplanes. They have anxiety about flying. Some people have anxiety about job interviews. They, they, a job, the concept of a job interview, it's, it's crushing. They can hardly get themselves ready to go to a job interview. People have anxiety about, about their leaving their cell phones at home. Oh, do I have it? Do I have it? Then they have anxiety about when it goes under 10%. Like, they start freaking out. You know, where's a plug-in? I need a charger. Ah! I go less than temper. What if it shuts down? How would I get my email? You know, it's amazing. We have anxiety about the smallest things. We have anxiety about the way we look. You know, our face, our hair, our clothes. I remember when I was uh, going from eighth grade into freshman year, my feet grew enormously. Anybody else have this experience? Puberty. Things just totally changed on my body, and I went from like a size nine to a size twelve in one year. I remember my mom took me to the store to get shoes. Then I put these shoes on and I looked down and I was like, I look like Goofy. You know Goofy's big giant feet? 
you know, and then somebody made a comment about how big my feet were and that sent me over the edge. And I was, so I would literally argue with my mom to take me back to the store to get me smaller shoes. Listen, I didn't even want to go to school. I didn't want to go to social events because I thought I, I, I cannot be seen with these gigantic feet. It, was, it went from concern to brooding fear and uneasiness of mind like that. Listen, even today as a 42-year-old person, I have some pairs of shoes I don't wear. <laughs> Anxiety, wow. Changes the, all, change, we, we, small things, big things. A lot of us have anxiety about the bigger issues in life. You know, retirement, you start to, you know, you start to, oh my God, we can have enough money to retire. We, some of you are still single and you're like, man, by this time I thought I'd be with married. I thought I'd have some kids. Am I going to be this way forever? Am I going to be all alone? Some of you have anxiety about your kids and are they going to make it in the future? How are we going to pay for college? And oh my gosh, oh my God, anxiety. Some of you are, you know, you can't get pregnant, you're married and you're trying to have a baby and, and it's not working and oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Some of us have anxiety about death. We think about it. We get this overwhelming fear of dying. For many of us, it's public speaking, getting up in front of others and talking. We have anxiety about small issues and big issues. And for some of you, you still may be a little bit, you know, you know, on the fence. Well, do I have that? Do I have healthy concern? Or is it moved over to concern on steroids? I, I'm not sure. Here's how you can tell. Here's another way you can tell. What if language is the language of anxiety? If you find yourself constantly saying, well, what if we don't have enough money? And what if they fell out of school? And what if she dies? And what if the job doesn't, what if the business doesn't work? And what if, it, and if you find yourself constantly playing negative scenarios over and over and over in your mind, you probably have gone from healthy concern over to anxiety. Can I, can I share some information with you? A new study came out recently that showed that 85% of the negative scenarios that we build in our minds, and you know, you know the worst of, uh, at this is? Moms. I'm not picking on you moms, but you do this, you do this more than anybody else that I know. Mothers of children, you guys play out these negative, crazy scenarios, and here's I'm going to set you free. Ready? This new study came out that said 85% of the negative scenarios that you play out in your mind never happen. Think about all the grief and the fear that's coming from those what-if stories in your mind, and they're not going to happen. And, not, and I think it was like 89% of the, uh, of the 15% that actually happened, they said they were able to deal with it better than they thought they would. Or they learned huge lessons from it when it didn't happen. I hope that maybe, that's, maybe that one little piece of information was enough for you today and you can go home and be set free. You know, I want to talk to you today about anxiety, but I'm not going to come at it from the medical side of things. I'm obviously not a medical doctor, so I'm going to leave that to, to the experts. I'm going to come at the issue of anxiety from a spiritual dimension. And I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus had to say about it. How many believe that Jesus was the most intelligent being to ever walk this planet? How many believe that? Some of you are not convinced. Maybe you think it's Sir Isaac Newton. Maybe you think it was Steve Jobs or some other really smart guy. Trust me, you're wrong. Okay. Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Jesus created the human body, the human soul, the human brain. He knows everything about everything. Trigonometry, his. Calculus, he invented it. 
Biochemistry, he could teach it. How many believe Jesus could teach a class on biochemistry? If your hand is not up, you're silly. You're being silly. It's his. He owns the subject. He made chemistry, okay? He's the smartest being in the universe. And guess what? He spoke directly to this issue of anxiety. And this is what he had to say about anxiety. Anxiety is completely unproductive. It is completely counterproductive. There's nothing good that comes from worrying about things. Let me show you Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, and which one of you, now he's talking to a crowd, this is a sermon on the mount, it's the best sermon that's ever been preached in the history of the human race. And he says to his audience, which one of you, by being anxious, this is something that we choose to be, we, we are being anxious, it's a path we go down, which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? It's a rhetorical question. In other words, what he's saying is, which one of you thinks that anxiety can help you prolong your life or make your life better? The answer is no one, because anxiety doesn't do that. It profits nothing. It's actually counterproductive. It actually harms your life. I did a little research on the internet. I looked up the Mayo Clinic, which is where a lot of people go and they're sick and they don't know what's going on and they need checkups and all this stuff. And the Mayo Clinic lists the negative consequences of undealt with anxiety. If maybe you have some of these. Stomach aches, irritability, something like, yeah, the person's next to me. Fatigue, trouble sleeping, muscle tension, headaches, sweating. That reminds me of the SNL skit. Remember the SNL skit with the, the anxious girl that would do this? Some of you are like, what was that? Go to YouTube. Uh, you got to watch, you know, it, it's just, she was anxious and she, she got sweaty. <laughs> Nausea, social avoidance, just, just you start to drift away from the people in your life. It impairs your decision-making skills and on and on and on. I mean, it's anxiety completely, it, it almost renders your life you know, unproductive. And, and Jesus knew all about that. He, he, knew, he knew it would be counterproductive for us to sit around and worry. A couple of years ago, I sat down with a, a young couple and they were having issues. And um, as I dug in, I said, you know, what's going on? She said, well, I can't drive. I said, why, why can't you drive? She said, well, I have a license and everything, but a couple of years ago, I got into a car accident and now I'm too afraid if I get in the car, I'm going to have another one. And so because of that, I can't go to the grocery store and I can't get myself to go shopping. And, my, and in order for us to get anything done with the kids, my husband's got to, I get away from my husband to get home. And, and then we're out, you know, in the evenings every night because I can't drive. And the anxiety was, was so gripping in her life, she could not get behind a wheel of a car. That's the power of this. That's why we have to talk about this. That's why we have to figure this out. So what I want to do with the rest of our time today is, is get at the root of what, what is the root cause of anxiety? We have to go and ask that question because if we don't figure out what the root cause of anxiety is, then we're just going to try to deal with the, the results and the, you know, the, the, the fruit of it and, and we'll never fix the issue. So what is the root of anxiety according to Jesus? Well, he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to what he says. And why are you anxious about clothing? Now, I'm so thankful that he cho chose clothing. 
Liter quite literally, he chooses something that all of us deal with. Now, he could have chose, why are you anxious about your shoes or your hair? Or today, he would have said, why are you anxious about, you know, the home you live in or your car? It's something that we all deal with. Why are you worried about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, he says, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They do nothing in their own power. Yet I tell you, Solomon, not even Solomon, when he was at the top of his game, in all of his glory, the richest man, one of the richest people to ever walk this planet, was not arrayed like one of these fields with lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field with lilies, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, listen to what he says here, watch. Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little, say it with me, faith. What is the core root issue of anxiety, according to Jesus? In your notes, I wrote it like this. The root issue of anxiety is a lack of faith. Specifically, listen to me, listen to me. Specifically, a lack of faith that God will take care of you. That he will work this deal out as you retire, as your kids go off to school, as your kids get a driver's license, as you move from one job to the next, as you break, as the relationship breaks up, as a, he will take care of you. Why are you anxious about it? Don't you know who your heavenly father is? Don't you understand the father-daughter relationship, the father-son relationship? He will care for you, is what Jesus is saying. Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Paul picks up on the same theme in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. For some of you, this is your life verse, and it's a good one. He takes off where Jesus left off about faith. Listen to what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about the, your, your transportation. Don't be anxious about getting on airplanes. Don't be anxious about food. Don't be anxious about your hair. Don't be anxious about the size of your feet. Do not be anxious about the relationship. Do not be anxious about retirement. Do not be anxious about anything. Nothing in this life. Do not worry. But instead, in every situation you find yourself in, no matter what the situation is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray Bring your petitions, which is a request, and add thanksgiving to it and present that issue to God. And say, God, here's what's going on. We're getting ready to retire and I'm concerned, I backed away from anxiety, that we're not gonna have enough. Here's what's going on. We gotta send these kids to college and it's really expensive. Here's what's going on. I really hate my job, it's, it's tearing me up. I'm gonna present this situation to God. And, and here's what Paul is really saying. When we're praying, we're trusting. That's what prayer really is. I'm laying the request before God. God, you know all about this. You know how I feel about it. You know what I would love to see happen. And I'm putting it before you and I'm gonna step back. And when we step back, watch what happens. And then, and only then, the peace of God, which transcends, which surpasses all understanding. You might not even understand how this works. I mean, of course we do because we've laid the request before God, but others might not. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will come into your life and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Guard your hearts and your minds from what? From anxiety. From that brooding fear, that gripping, choking 
feeling inside, the uneasiness of mind. This is exactly how we defeat anxiety. Now, I know because I know many of you and and you've been coming to church for a while and I know not everyone has, but I know you've heard something Someone talk about this before. You maybe you've read it in the scripture before. You heard another preacher talk about it, and you agree with it. No, there's nothing inside of you. It's like, no, I disagree with that. It didn't work that way. <laughs> I don't think anybody's necessarily saying that. I think everyone would probably say, "Man, that's a really good verse. I need to memorize that." And you do. But I'm not there. I believe this. I believe that God will take care of me. But I still have anxiety. How do I get to the point where my faith is strong enough? such that anxiety is not invading my life and choking me. How do I get to that point? And that is an issue of your mind. That is an issue of your thoughts. See, I really do believe that what I'm talking about today is mental health. What is going on between your ears? What are the patterns and the thought processes? What are the stories going on in your mind? If the constant story is, what if, what if, what if, oh my gosh, and you're constantly playing out negative scenarios in your mind, well, how do you expect to feel anything else but fear and worry and anxiety? Well, what if you changed that inner narrative? What if you changed your thought process? J.P. Moreland, in his book, Towards the End, he quotes These two authors, Daniel Amen and Lisa Roth, they wrote a book called Overcoming Anxiety and Depression. Daniel Amen is a neuroscientist and a psychiatrist, and Lisa Roth is a neuropsychiatrist. In their book, this is what they say. What you allow to occupy your mind will sooner or later determine your feelings, your speech, and your actions. This is the secret. How do I, oh, how do I get to the point where, where my faith is strong enough that I could lay a request before God and the peace of God which transcends all of this understanding guards my heart against anxiety? You must take control of the inner narrative, the thought process that you have, especially about God. What do you think about God. I'm going to give you three ideas today, three of the best thoughts that I could muster up about God to help you build a better mental game. We're talking about mental health here. I'm going to give them to you very quickly, and I believe they'll change your life and help you live above anxiety. Number one, you have to see Jesus as fully competent. You must come to see and understand that your God, that Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit is fully competent. This is what Jesus is trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount. He starts to talk about birds. Listen to what he says about birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. They don't, they don't harvest. They don't plant seed. They don't irrigate fields. Yet, yet, watch this. Your heavenly Father does what? What does he do? Come on a little louder, all of our campuses. He feeds them. And then Jesus says this. Are you not much more valuable? Then a group of sparrows, then a group of Canadian geese, definitely Canadian geese, right? But aren't you much more valuable than a flock of ducks? 
Yet the answer is yes, a thousand times. You are created in God's image. You are his child. If the father takes care of birds that neither sow nor reap nor store up in barns, will he not take care of you? The answer is what? Yes, in any situation, in every idea, every situation you find yourself in, God will take care of you. He's competent. You have to come to believe that in your heart. When I was nine years old, I began to have anxiety about getting in cars because I became aware as I grew up in New York City that, that cars got into accidents and tires were screeching. I was like, man, I don't want to get you know, killed in an accident. And you know, how, you know how I was able to defeat that anxiety? Just, I never even said anything to anybody. It was just my own thinking. I looked at my dad. I was like, my dad... It's the best stinking driver in the world. Like when I was a little boy, my dad would get in the car and he'd put us on his lap and he would let us drive and then he'd put us on the side and he would drive with no hands. He would drive with no hands. Now as a little boy, that got seared into my mind and I'm thinking, how is he doing it? How is he not crashing? Here's what, I, here's what got locked in. He could do anything behind that wheel. Guess what happened? Guess what happened to my anxiety about getting in the car? It fled because of the competence of my earthly father. Listen, this is why I read the Bible every single day. I don't read it because, that's interesting. (laughs) Somebody just played a joke on me. Anyway, (laughs) I don't read this book because, so I can tell you I read it. I read it every day so I can become more and more convinced about the competence of God. Let me give you one example. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in what? Trouble. Therefore, because he's gonna help me in my trouble, therefore, we will not fear. Do you see the answer, guys? God, you're competent. Even though like, the earth gives way and the mountains are moved into the sea and, and there's tsunamis and earthquakes and he finishes up, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its falling. Even when everything seems to be falling apart, I will not fear because of the competence of God. Have you come to see Jesus that way? Have you come to see God that way, that he is fully competent? I'm telling you, that's the first step towards peace. Number two, second thought. Remember, this is our mind. This is mental health. This is the stuff we've got to tell ourselves. Number two, we have to believe and come to a deep conviction that God is good. He's not just competent, but he is good. He is a good God. What does that mean? He's good. We had a preacher at Liberty where Jackie and I met many years ago. It seemed like he would say this every single sermon. And maybe it was just me that I, 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 I was, I don't know. But I remember he would say it all the time. He would say, students, God wants nothing, ba- nothing but your best. He has your best interests at heart. And he would say it. His name was Rob Jackson, Pastor Rob Jackson. And I'd be like, I finally was like, okay, I believe that. I believe God has nothing but my best interest at heart. Now that doesn't mean he's gonna make my life easy. (laughs) That doesn't mean he's gonna do everything my way, right? Like good parents don't do that for their kids, right? Like if I did everything my kids asked me to do, I'd be a bad parent, yes? Yes, you would be too. (laughs) 
like our kids ask for some stuff that's no good for them, right? So God, I do what's best for my children, which isn't always what they want. Well, why would it work any different here? God wants nothing but your best because he's a good God. Listen to Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is, he's good. Oh, the joys. Listen, there's joy available. There's not stress. There's not anxiety. There's not fear. There's not uneasiness of mind. Oh, the joys for those who take refuge, who go to him for safety. I'm after the joy. How about you? God is good. Listen, what good is it if he's competent, if he's not good? Think about it. If God can do anything, if he can part the Red Sea, if he can create the heavens and the earth, if he can raise the dead, if he can heal the blind, but his heart is not good, we have reason to fear. Yes or no? But he's both competent and he is good. He wants what is best for you. Number three, number three, the third thought we have to think to ourselves. And we have to come to believe. We have to learn to trust that God is sovereign. God is is sovereign. Now that's a theological word. It simply means that God is in control and he has a plan. We have to come to this deep belief that God is sovereign. Here's what that means. That simply means that whatever is going on in your life, whatever the situation is, that he's in control. Like our lives are not dictated by things that people talk about like luck or I got lucky or, or chance or, or fate or coincidence. Like that's what the world thinks, that this is a random, you know, roll of the dice. Some people get rich, some people get cancer, some people, you know, have a great life, some people have a horrible life and it's just, it's just up to fate. It's just up to chance. I got lucky. No. Our, our lives are not run by luck or fate or chance or coincidence. Our lives are run by a competent, good, sovereign God who is in control and has a plan. You say, how can you say that with such confidence? Well, I didn't say it. The Apostle Paul did, so I'll just blame it on him. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This, for some of you, this is your life verse, and it's a good one. Paul says, and we know, we have knowledge, like two plus two is four. We know that it's four. In the same way, we know that God causes how many things? Everything, all things, both good and evil and everything in between. He causes everything to work together like a mosaic. All these broken little pieces come together for the what? Say it with me. The good of those who love God. For those who are called according to his, say it with me, purpose. God has a purpose. Now we may not know the purpose for years after something difficult takes place. But God has a purpose. This is not random chance. We, we don't go through life that way. We have a God who is sovereign. He is in control and he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life, for your future, for your children's future for the current relationship that you're in. He's got a purpose and he's in control. Now, when we come to a deep conviction like that, and then we face into the issues that are giving us anxiety, what happens? What happens? Guess what? The anxiety starts to flee. It starts to fade. And peace starts to come into our lives. God 
is sovereign. This is what we have to think in regards to all of the issues in our life, the daily small issues, the medium-sized issues, and the large big issues in our life. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this, you keep in perfect peace, perfect peace, all who trust in you, all who have learned to put their hope in you, all whose minds, thoughts are fixed on you. Where, again, this is a mental game. What, where does your mind go when you've got time to think? You've got to bring it back to these three ideas that God is competent, that God is good, and God is in control every single day. Bring your thoughts back to these three ideas. Now, wait a second. As soon as anxiety starts to rise up inside of you, as soon as that fear starts to rise up, as soon as your mind starts to go with all the what-if negative scenarios, time out. Wait a second. God is competent. I don't have to fear. God is good. He has my best interests at heart. And God is in control. I do not have to fear. What would happen if you did that? Here's what would happen. The quality of your life would soar. It would go through the roof. Don't you agree? Do you, yes or no? Do you agree with this? Can we say this together? Can we say these three ideas together? I think, I think it's worth repeating together. Can we, can we all do it together? All of our campuses, microsites, all. Ready? Let's do it together. Ready? God is competent. God is good. And God is in control. Let's do it again together because it's kind of fun. Ready? God is competent. God is good. And God is in control. What would happen? Listen, this is not a sermon, guys. This is not a talk. It's like, oh man, it's Sunday. I have to get up and say something. No, this is me sharing with you a way of being in this world. Some would call it living in the kingdom of God. Jesus' invitation was, hey, come and dwell with me. Yes, after you die, I've taken care of all that sin and the penalty of sin and death on the cross. And yes, you'll get to go to heaven when you die. But right now, as you're raising those kids, as you're going through the thing called the single life, as you're getting ready to retire, as the marriage is getting tense because you're in your, you know, the later years and it's getting harder and harder. Like right now, I want to live with you and I want to bring peace and joy into your life if you trust me. So here's my question I want you to dwell upon and talk about in your groups this week. Will you trust God? It's the, and this isn't like, yeah, of course I trust God. No, today. Today, right now, with the situation you're going through, your cell phone is, is less than 10%, your feet are too big, whatever. Right now, this is a choice that all of us make every single day. God, where's my trust? Do I believe you got my back? Do I believe your heart is good? Do I believe you're in control and you have a plan or a purpose? Yes, 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 I'm good. Listen, one of the greatest things I love about being a Christian is not being a pastor. I like being a pastor. It has great days. There's some difficult days. Okay, that's a separate issue. I love being a Christian because of peace, of peace in my heart. It's what we're all looking for. It's, and what is peace? Peace is rest of soul rooted in the goodness of God, in the sovereignty of God, in the competence of God. I'm good. 
Not every day, but most of the time, high levels of peace, high levels of joy. Listen, the offer is there for you. If you don't know that peace, if you don't know that joy, here's the way Jesus would say it. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things to be added unto you. In other words, all the stuff we fret about, all the stuff we worried about, I'll take care of that. You seek to live in my kingdom. You seek to live in me. You seek to put your trust in me. Every single day, I will take care of you. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. You have nothing to worry about. No one can even harm you. Even if they kill you, it'll be all right. Not even death can mess with this deal. Wow, I want in on that. Maybe you've never trusted Christ before. Maybe today is your day. Maybe something just clicked with you. Jesus Christ made a way for you to live with him in his kingdom. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin. Will you trust him? I'm gonna say a simple prayer of faith. If you would like to enter the kingdom, if you would like to have your sins forgiven, if you would like levels of peace that you've never known before, take these words and make them your own. Will you pray with me? Just reach out to him right now. It's a prayer he loves to answer. Just say this to him. Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died in my place to cover all my sin. Wash me right now. Cleanse me as I trust you. I step into your kingdom today. Fill my heart with your peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Fill my heart with your spirit, your love, your joy right now. From this day forward, help me to trust you that you are competent that your heart is good and that you are sovereign. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Amen. If you trusted Christ today, we would love to put a new believer's Bible in your hands, whatever campus you're at. Uh, there should be tables in the back. If you trusted Christ online, there's a little place there that you can mark, put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. Can we give God glory one more time, guys? Amen.